0: I really like to ride my bike and put on music (laughs) and kind of create fantasy movie scenes for myself, like create a soundtrack while I'm riding through a place and just kind of pretend like I'm a certain character in some kind of scene. I, I don't know. I don't know. It just helps me to kind of brain shift into different character spaces to, you know, create my own imaginary worlds in the pieces that I make. I find that I do that a lot more now that I'm not interviewing people and can't, you know, enter into their worlds as often. Um, so I kind of like, create these weird worlds for myself.
1: We're listening to She Does, a show that features women in media, all forms of media.
2: We wanted to know how these women got to where they are today. So we asked and found out and thought you might like to know too. I'm Elaine. And I'm Sarah. And today, we would like to introduce you to Kara Oler.
1: She's a radio documentary maker, media artist, and co-founder and editor-in-chief of GoPop, an app that allows you to speak with GIFs, photos, and videos. Her Peabody Award-winning radio work, has aired on shows like Radiolab, Marketplace, and Morning Edition, and her interactive storytelling projects have been exhibited at places like MoMA.
2: Elaine, if there was one word that you could choose to describe Kara, that kind of encompasses her, what she does, her personality, what would it be? Well, that's kind of difficult, but I
1: would definitely say a starter. She's the co-founder of Ziga, an interactive storytelling platform online, and she also co-founded the Union Docs Collaborative Studio and the Meta Lab at Harvard. I first met Kara in Boston when she was a fellow at Harvard's Radcliffe Institute. But we hadn't seen each other in a couple years, and when we sat down, I learned a lot about Kara that I didn't know before. So now, it's time to share that all with you. Kara grew up in Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. She grew up in the woods with her two younger brothers and a house that her parents built.
0: I grew up on 10 acres of woods and fields, and we had soybeans in the back. So growing up, like in the first few years, there were no walls. So I would run through the walls as a kid, which is also why I have this scar on my forehead and like, like I have this little divot in my lower lip and I think it's because I was always like tripping on stuff and splitting my lip. You know, everybody thought where I lived was totally BFE and like no No parents would drive their kids to hang out with me, like to play with me at my house because it was too far away from everyone else's house. And my dad made furniture. My mom worked with autistic kids and was a speech pathologist. And my parents were both opera singers, which in Indiana was a pretty strange thing. This meant that growing up, care was in a lot of kids' courses. And so in Faust... There's this point where the lead character goes crazy and she thinks she sees Jesus in front of her and then she sees the devil and she's just losing her mind. And so as a kid, I played Jesus and had my hair back in a ponytail and came before her and she's like, ah! It was me, looking very calm, and then I'm replaced by this guy that is just like, ah, and he's the devil. And he was the evil baritone. The baritones are always bad guys. But I don't have a voice like my family does. I can sing, but not like this magnificent, like, whoa, kind of voice. But she always loved music, and she had a real talent for it. She could play by ear with ease. My parents started me playing piano when I was two, and I did Suzuki Method piano, and it's like child torture. They had what's called a repeating cassette, and the passages that you can't re- get right when you're playing, they'll just record that passage. So like. 15 seconds of that run that you can't get, and as you're going to sleep, they play it on a repeating cassette, so you just hear the passage over and over and over, all night. That is <laughs> torture. It's insane. <laughs> but it trained me to have a good ear. I, I started playing drums when I was in sixth grade, because my mom said I had to be in band, and I think part of me was just like, okay, yeah, I'll be in band. <laughs> I'll play the drums. (laughs) I was obsessed with music and obsessed with knowing bands. And I used to keep this little address book in my bag. And every time I would hear a new band, um, I would write it down in the address book and write a mini review. There was this amazing show that was on the air from 1 to 2 a.m. called Brave New World. That was a radio show, and I would record it, like set my alarm, hit record on a cassette tape, and then I would listen to it, you know, and write little mini reviews. So I got to really know music, and my high school had a radio station, and so I joined it because I just wanted access to free music.
1: Kara became the music director of her high school radio station, and she was exposed to public radio through her parents when she was younger. But she always found it pretty boring. That was until she heard This American
2: Life. That three, two words you never want to hear from your doctor. There's somewhere between 44,000 and I think it
0: was just something I had never heard before. A type of storytelling that was so, so intimate and so emotional and, you know, musically scored stories. So I knew I wanted to make that, but because of my background, I wanted to make um, really musical pieces. Uh, one thing I really hated about This American Life early on was that they always used the same musical passages. I wanted to like make radio stories, but score them my own way, you know, with weird sounds or with music I made.
1: Kara attended Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. Her journalism teacher got her a job in the public relations department, writing speeches for the university president. But one time, she was asked to write something that really made her stop and question the ethics of her role.
0: At the time, there was this asbestos crisis at the school. And so part of our job was to write up talking points for key people, for when the media called so that they could have something to say about the asbestos to try and kind of gloss over the issue and make it not sound as bad as it was. And I was kind of appalled by the process, and I was like, whoa, I I don't want to do this. I want to report on this.
1: So, she started interning at the public radio station, KNAU. As an operations intern, she controlled automation of the shows and made sure they played overnight, among other things.
0: And I also had this very important job of editing promos. So you know, it would be the morning edition promo, and then at the very end of the promo, the 30-second promo, there's a five-second music bed, and you fade that down, and then you take this this host um, thing that says today at five on KNAU. And so I would edit that in, and I thought I was just like the master of editing promos. I was so proud of doing these things. (laughs) And during her senior year of college, she got her first big break. The week I was graduating, the weekend announcer had something happen in her family, and she couldn't be the weekend announcer anymore they were like hey Kara do you want to be the weekend all things considered announcer and I was like absolutely yes (laughs) so I became an announcer um, at 21 because I was just there were you nervous oh my gosh I was so nervous and I think I sounded so young I was really terrible at it actually (sighs) it was bad and our program director was like you know, I think your voice is kind of similar to Corva Coleman's. From NPR News in Washington, on Corva Coleman, the powerful nor'easter that stormed into the Northeast this week is pulling away. And so he had me listen to all of these and Corva Coleman pieces, says, pieces, and her as a host. But her voice is really low and beautiful, and has this kind of huskiness to it. Massachusetts flood warnings are still and So I was trying to like, I'm Kara Oler. And it just ended up sounding like this, like, (laughs) like this sex worker on the phone. You know, like, it was really bad. It was really, really, really bad. So anyway, my tenure as Weekend announcer did not last all that long, but I became a reporter in the newsroom right after that, which was great.
1: It was in that Arizona newsroom that Kara met her artistic partner, Ann Hepperman. Kara was working as the operations intern, and Ann was working as the newsroom intern. Kara taught Ann how to cut those promos she was so proud of, and Ann took Kara along to gather tape for stories. That was the beginning of a 10 year working relationship between the two women. One of her favorite pieces she created with Ann was a story focused on the US and Mexico border. It was a summer when border control had drastically increased their amount of security guards.
0: So all of these people were trying to sneak through the least patrolled part of the border, but that requires walking through the desert for three days. It's like 122 degrees sometimes, and it's, it's hard to carry enough water. So people were dying a lot. And it was being reported on in this really inhuman way. The border patrol has found the body. Patrol agents found the body of a man believed to be an illegal immigrant hanging from a tree in the desert. The deaths bring the total number of deaths by crossers in Arizona to 106 for this year. Authorities these people have died trying to cross the Mexican border. And started collecting Arizona. these AP reports. We really wanted to tell a story of what it was actually like to walk through the desert and what that felt like and what people were thinking about and what drove them to even try to do something that would threaten their life like that. And so we heard about these oral histories that were on the border and we went down to check them out and we got there and the person no-showed, except for this dude who had started this underwear company for men called Arachones. Um, but we just met this dude and he's like, oh, the oral history person, you know, you'll never find them. They're like a lot of talk, whatever. And he's like, but um, I know of the shelter that's in Mexico um, on the other side of the border. You guys want to just hop in my track? I'm about to go over there. I can take you there. And we were like, all right.
1: The shelter was a place where people went after they tried to cross the border. They were given food and a place to sleep. And the next morning, they decided if they
0: wanted to try again or go home. And so we were there and we met this dude that was just this total poet. He had been crossing for the last nine years and he just started out the interview. You know, I was like, well, tell me about what it's like to walk in the desert for three days. And he's like, okay, well, I walk walk all all day day in the sun. sun.
2: By the end of the day, I only had one gallon of water, I started with two gallons.
0: He was this poet and he became our one of our narrators of the piece. You know, it just came out of like just getting in a guy's truck and seeing what happened.
2: They never make it over there and they never make it back home.
1: And we're not talking about failure of institutions on Wall Street. We're talking about failures on Main Street and people who will lose their jobs and their credits and their homes. The year was 2008. It was an election year. And there was a lot of talk about Main Street and Wall Street among the politicians. We got fundamental problems in the system. And Main Street is paying a penalty for the excesses and greed in Washington. This conversation intrigued Kara. uh, So... She decided to do her own research. Census data revealed that there were 10,466 streets named Main Street in America.
0: Main Street is a crazy thing. Like, if you actually go to actual Main Streets, um, we did a story about one. There's a Main Street that goes straight into Mexico in Arizona. Uh, There's a Main Street in Chattanooga that's partially revitalized and partially a prostitution strip. And so... You know, there are main streets that are just like a gravel road in the middle of a field. And so it was this great project to document America at that point in time and also to kind of like call politicians on their BS and give people a chance to do that themselves and be like, well, this is where I'm from and this is what I'm seeing right at this moment. I'm here on Main Street in the city metro diner. We're in
2: Lexington.
1: Kara, along with her collaborators Ann Hepperman, James Burns, and Jesse Shapens, piled into her Subaru station wagon and drove 14,000 miles on back roads, stopping at main streets around the country.
2: 14,000 miles?
1: Yep. United States and Mexico.
2: It's a bunch of hoes and drug dealers. That's all I know about Main Street. Good place to start a business. It's a true small town community
1: spirit. Ain't much. as far as it goes right there. They travel for three and a half months. And they partnered with NPR to broadcast the stories from Main Street and to encourage user participation. And what came out of this is a really cool website and one of the first interactive documentaries that allowed people from around the country to tag a photo and tell a story from their Main Street.
0: We got this grant and it was $48,000. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is the most money ever. This is insane. And what I didn't realize is that there were about 15 people that worked on Mapping Main Street, and we worked on it for a year, and um, that, that isn't very much in the end. Um, so we didn't have very much money to do it, and when we left, um, we, we knew to do it, we had to get on the road and travel around the U.S. and see these Main Streets in person. And so um, I put all my stuff in storage and just you know packed a suitcase and went on the road. It's one of these projects that is so grand in scale. I mean, 10,466 is a lot of anything to try and document, but it's also a finite number. Um, It's achievable. (laughs) And the only way you can do that is by having people help you to do that. And you could not have done that without the internet. You know, it was this wonderful thing that suddenly made that possible. And we were just so fascinated in trying to explore how that would work. What did you love about that? I loved, I mean, I... Or hate about it. No, I loved it. I loved it. I think that's when I'm happiest. I really love situations where you don't know what's going to happen. And you haven't planned it. And it's totally arbitrary I think I was really in need of that, too, because I think the Internet is a place where you can find something so specific to what you're looking for. You can find your little perfectly niche piece of information about something. And I kind of just wanted a completely ambiguous kind of situation where I had absolutely no idea what I was going to find. And I discovered crazy stuff about the US. I think the most surprising to me was Montana, actually. Because like I expected the South and and parts of Appalachia to be really open and to tell me lots of stories and invite me in. And I did not expect that in Montana. People have this kind of unparalleled confidence in what they're doing um, and how they're living, no one there is impressed that you're from somewhere else or that you've lived in a big city. They're just like, oh, you don't. I kind of felt like people knew more than I did about the world living there. We made Mappy Main Street and we loved We really, really loved making it. It was kind of this moment where, you know, all of these sites were building these APIs, like building these ways for uh, um, other websites to use them. You know, so you could pull a photo from Flickr and have it show up on your site. You know, or you could have a Google Map be on your site and it would change as it updated. And that was just like, what? How is that happening? I wondered how it would change storytelling if anybody could build something like Mapping Main Street without knowing how to program. And so that was really why we made Zika, was just so people could start to make interactive projects without having the programming skills, just storytelling skills.
1: In 2010, Kara and her collaborators, Jesse and James, started a new interactive storytelling platform called Zika.
0: And that proved to be much harder than I had anticipated. Um, because there is no one tool that people need to build an interactive project because every story is different. And so every interface that would be needed to tell that story is different. But we didn't know that. So we built this crazy like kind of thing that could bring in, you know, two videos from YouTube and layer them on top of each other and excerpt them. And you could, you know, select some part of the video and you could click on that and that would lead you into another passageway. It was just the craziest tool for the web. And you could bring in a sound from SoundCloud and have that layered over it and then bring in another one. And It was just nuts. You know, it was like final cut for the internet. Where is it now? It still exists. And now, um, you know... At the time, and I think other sites like Cowbird went through the same thing. You know, we were also optimistic about this idea that people could tell stories on the web without knowing how to program and use something like a Ziga or um, a Cowbird. And we didn't build them to work on the phone. And I mean, everything changed at that moment. So while we were building it, like everything became really geared towards mobile, and. Zika's didn't play on mobile because we were kind of, I mean, maybe we were a little like techno-utopianists where we were so excited about trying to push the form and the medium that we were building something that actually wouldn't work in places besides like a Chrome browser or, I mean, yeah, it was hard. It was It was amazing, but it just, it was too crazy to actually be useful for people like on their phones. Did you notice that change? Change in what? Her
2: voice? Yeah, she sounds almost kind of defeated. Yeah, well, I mean, I
1: I think her story represents a moment in history in that the internet is not timeless and that we're speaking about a project that was made in 2010 and by 2013 it was already rendered obsolete which is insane.
2: Yeah, I guess it's just kind of a swallow your pride and move on
1: kind of moment. Yeah, and there's definitely, there's no doubt that Jesse, James, and Kara, and the rest of the Zika team really contributed a pretty big part in the interactive storytelling timeline, so there's definitely nothing to be ashamed about. (laughs) After Ziga, they decided to move to San Francisco, and they joined Matter, which was funded by the Knight Foundation, KQED, PRX, and some angel investors. And what came out of it was GoPop, an app that allows for a visual conversation with photos, videos, and GIFs. GIFs
2: or GIFs?
0: I don't know. So we moved out, all six of us, moved the whole team out to San Francisco to be a part of this thing for five months it was helpful for us because we had always been in the nonprofit world and we decided we're going to see what it would be like to try and make this without grant funding and with investment we were finding it hard to just actually make the thing that we wanted to make instead we were making a lot of projects which was great but we kind of wanted to make the thing we thought it might be more freeing to try and imagine if it wasn't ziga if it was just something else that that took a lot of the ideas I just I didn't want to call it Ziga because I didn't want it to have to hold to the same ideas as Ziga. I wanted to give it a new name, and we all did, so that it could be its own thing, you know. So it wasn't always judged against this other thing that was created before it. And so um, we decided to, you know, have Ziga remain what it was and make this new thing that we called Go Pop. GoPop
1: launched in March 2014.
0: We're all language nerds. We're all kind of obsessed with the ways that languages are formed. The internet has been this place where this completely new language, this visual language, has started to grow. We as humans were very visual in the way we communicate before the printing press. It was cave paintings and paintings and drawings and then also oral tradition. Printing press comes, we express ourselves through text, and then that starts to grow and evolve with film and photography, and then the internet, we start to catalog more of our visual culture. And then we have a phone with a camera, and suddenly, like, just our visual lexicon, like visual shorthand just totally exploded. And now we use it all the time in place of words because it's quicker. And, and frankly, I think it's a little more emotional than text can be.
1: Tara said moving to San Francisco was a big wake-up call for her.
0: You know, we moved partially out to the Bay Area because we, we were really excited to have a peer group to talk about these kinds of ideas that we were exploring about visual culture and technology and communication and language. And we, we got there and we found it. We didn't find that peer group at all. My experience in at least the tech world, I have wonderful friends out there, but my experience in the tech world has been that I'll end up at a party and there will be 150 men and 15 women. I don't know of any other women that are founders of other media companies like like Pop. You know, like Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. Twitter are all male. Obviously, we're not huge <laughs> like them. But, um, but you know, even the the smaller apps or networks, they're just not founded by women. A huge part of legislation, you know? I mean, there are a lot of laws that are coming out around privacy. I'm very concerned that there are lots of men that are creating what is creating our future legislation. And it, it just seems like, you know, men in position of power that are creating technologies that are what are, you know, what we're creating laws around right now to try and make sense of the internet and, and what it means for our society. And, and I, I don't know what the implications of that are for the future, that there are so few women that are part of that. You know,
1: that sucks. What do you think, like, you bring as a woman to the to the
0: field? Like, what? why is it important for, like, a woman to be at that table? I don't know if I can answer that, though. Like, in a way that's, like, kick-ass. <laughs> I mean, they're just, you know, it's, like, half men and half women in the world. <laughs> like, why shouldn't there be equal parts of women and men doing this stuff?
1: Since you married the person, I guess talk about like your relationship with, well, as much as you want to say, you know, what I'm much. But yeah. I work with my husband. We yeah. work on projects together. So how's it navigating that? And like, <laughs> and what, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of benefits from it too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Jesse is definitely my creative partner and has been ever since I met him. And you know, I met him at this place called Union Docks. Which he started um, with some other people. That's this documentary arts organization that screens documentary films in Brooklyn. And he was working the door, and we just hit it off right away, and started working together like a few weeks later, and dating, <laughs> um, and have been working together and dating, now married ever since. I am one of those people that. Is really, really horrible in the morning. I know some people just love the morning and, and like, love that quiet time, and it's just magical. And for me, I just, like, I feel, like, really spaced out and kind of gross. I cannot do anything except kind of wake up and do a little reading and not talk to people. And Jesse, my partner, is the exact opposite, and he's like, hey, what's going on? Oh, my God. I have this new theory, you gotta hear this. We've kind of worked it out where he wakes up and he makes coffee and then I have coffee and then I go out into the garden and I like you know dig up some weeds and just kind of hang around outside. And then he goes to work and I hang out and then I start to like <laughs> and then after that I go into the office. Like I just need a little time um, to myself. There is definitely something about spending 24 hours a day every day with someone and working on the exact same project where, like, you get home and you kind of want something to talk about. And if you've been together that whole time, that's not a great thing. Kara says working
1: in the startup and app world has really made her miss storytelling.
0: I've always been someone who would rather make it myself than become a part of an existing institution. And that's actually what I kind of miss right now you know, we have GoPop that we're running, but usually I've always been running something else. Like, you know, I used to have be a part of this group that called Robot House where we put on shows in our kitchen, you know, and bands would come by and play at our house or, like, at a, different parts around Flagstaff, Arizona. And then in Brooklyn, I had Union Docs, and so we, you know, put on events all the time, and then we started this school called the Union Docs Collaborative – And then in Cambridge, we started the Meta Lab at Harvard, which was the Center for Digital Humanities. And now I don't have anything that is this place that lets people collaborate together and make things and talk about ideas. And I really miss that. I think I kind of always need some kind of crazy institution that I've been a part of creating that just lets people come together and, you know, make things together.
1: Oh, and by the way, we have big news. GoPop was acquired by BuzzFeed, which is pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, I've never heard of BuzzFeed. I'm just kidding. It's huge. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that means the GoPop team is working at BuzzFeed now, but Kara chose not to go there, and she's taken this opportunity to work on some projects of her own, like a documentary set in West Virginia and a radio show which I'm pretty excited
2: to hear. Let's hear one more piece of advice from Kara.
0: I think that women are not confident as early as men are. Having confidence in yourself earlier, and I know that's a hard thing to do, but just being bold. You know, uh, something that's really common is that men who are interns for a radio show will expect for their stuff to be on the air right away, and women won't. Um, I, I just hear this over and over again from people at different shows and and I think that's a problem actually I think that women serve as the support system way too much and don't expect to be in positions of power or to have their voice heard as often and I I would like to see that change I really want that to shift
1: Visit doespodcast.com for more information. And thanks so much to Kara for sitting down and chatting with us.
0: You know, in the last few years, my life has been very, very much on a screen. I really, really have been having this kind of withdrawal from the tactile. And so I just started gardening like crazy. I've been growing plants from seeds. <laughs> I got married this summer and I grew all the flowers for the wedding. For me, just like getting in the dirt and being really tactile kind of helps me counterbalance being really internet-y. The
2: music that you heard in today's episode was actually made by my friend Jeff, who goes by Super Bobby, and he wears a giant fist when he freestyles and performs. The other tracks are by Lewis from Busman's Holiday and Monroeville Music Center.
1: Sound design is by our good friend Billy Werasnik. So this is episode five of She Does Podcasts, And if you haven't listened to the other episodes, make sure to check those out. With each of these guests, we're doing a Google Hangout where you get to ask your questions. Visit our website, com, to see when we'll be holding the Google Hangout with Kara. Please rate and review us if you haven't already. The ratings and reviews really help us stay on the top of the charts and help us find other listeners, which helps us make more episodes for you.
2: Thank you for listening.
1: Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Oh, man! Are you okay? Are
0: you okay? Oh, no. Are you alright?
1: You lost it. You fucking failed.
0: Okay.